everyone, I'm Nicole. Hello, everyone, I'm O. <laughs> and we're the Poisers. And this is episode 12 of the mix-up. Correct. Um, we're coming at you, um, the mix-up is coming at you uh, today, May 31st, twenty. history um, a dubious date um, but important nevertheless um, it is uh, today in which we fall on the 100th anniversary of the beginning of what is known as the Tulsa Race Massacre uh, which uh, took place in Tulsa, Oklahoma in uh, 1921 yes so that is going to be our topic for today um, and just before we kind of dive into the history, the story, where we are now, um, we haven't done it in a while, but, but we haven't really talked about what our mix-up is with a lot of the topics, and I think it's because, you know, we agree on so many things, um, and our different races are really what the mix-up tends to be um and i think it is important to think about when did you first learn about the tulsa race massacre because i know i did not learn it at all in elementary school middle school high school like it wasn't covered and if it was in high school, it was probably glossed over, which is why I don't remember ever hearing about it in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably heard about it. Like, honestly, it's so murky. I don't even know because yeah, it's not like it's college forced in our education system. So I don't even know. But I think, I mean, I heard smitterings of it, like in. And going on like YouTube or like you know, right. I'm very curious, so I just like kind of just type things and then it leads me down the rabbit hole to other things and other things and other things after that. Um, so you know, I kind of like knew about race massacres, race riots in America from the uh, early 19th centuries and what have you. So, like, I might have tripped upon. Tulsa, uh, Oklahoma's um, this this particular event, um, and maybe I kind of like went over it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I really didn't know too much about it, like really the details details right. of it. Um, but f- f- like my first like real visual like in your face kind of introduction to it was when I was actually watching um, this HBO. Mm-hmm. Uh, show called Watchmen. I was going to bring up, yes. I think that's where a lot of people learn. I mean, you already knew about it. Like, you knew it had happened and and it was part of the Mm -hmm. history. But for a lot of people, they learned about it. The first time they ever heard about it was from the Watchmen. Right. Yeah, that was the first real, like, rude awakening introduction into this, uh, 
nasty part of American history. It definitely had people stopping and looking it up and saying, wait, what are they talking about? What yeah, because people actually thought that that was like, is this just part of the story? Like fantasy, is yeah. This just part of the actual story for the show, but come to find out, no, it was actually a real part of American history um, that they used in the show um, as a starting point, as a catapult for the rest of the show to yeah. kind of uh, talk about race relations and things of that matter in America. Um, so that was kind of a real attention grabber for people, and I guess mm-hmm. it kind of pulled people in um, to, I guess, on their own eventually, hopefully, do the research and find out about this part of history that wasn't introduced or wasn't talked to many people in the American school system. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's... And then after that, I kind of took up more interest in finding out more about it, the details behind it, um, the ramifications of it. Um, I feel know. like it gained a lot of steam after that, right? Like, I know there there has been a movement within Tulsa to really acknowledge that what happened there, um, the atrocities, reparations, um, admitting admitting wrongdoing mm-hmm. right um i think is a, is another part of that but sort of feel like after that after watchmen it kind of showed up everywhere mm-hmm. and i don't know if that's coincidence or not but that's how it feels to me at least yeah i mean it certainly seemed to gain traction um and i guess you know also we can add to that right because the 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 pandemic and george floyd's murder and the protests and everything that happened over the summer you know i think that 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 it played a large part in in people i mean people had no choice but to stay inside and then yeah eventually i think they decided to use their time productively i guess um and you know instead of just hopping on tiktok or whatever like they decided (laughs) like maybe i can actually do something intellectually intellectual and productive with my time um in order to edify themselves um and not hide or run from the truth um in which it seems that a lot of uh politicians and pundits are encouraging people to do is run from the truth Mm. <laughs> so you know like it, it it just goes to show and this is a constant theme throughout just world history since the beginning of man is like if you don't know your history you are ultimately doomed to repeat it mm. um, no matter how great or bad or you know, ugly things are, that's what they are. And yeah. you not you not knowing or you not finding the gumption to want to know or find out things because you feel like it may hurt your sensibilities or hurt your sensitivities. Or it's just like, make you uncomfortable. Is mm-hmm. it's 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 
unproductive, it's counterproductive, and it gets us nowhere because we're stuck on the treadmill instead of moving forward. Like you have to, you have to be able to to go back, look at something, examine it, scrutinize it, and say, okay, that happened then. Let's make sure nothing like that ever happens again. Except that it has. Except <laughs> the fact right. of the matter is because we don't know enough about the intricacies of the past and all of these things that create the present and possibly the future, we find ourselves stuck in iterations of the past because of the fact of the matter is that we're running away from it. Oh, they may hate me. Oh, I feel guilty. But the thing is, you have to look within yourself because that's a problem that's not my problem because that's an issue that you have to deal with yourself because no one is putting anything on you. All we are saying is that we have to find out why things are the way they are and what can we do uh, to change those things to make sure we don't go down that road ever, ever, ever again. But the thing is, we always find ourselves stuck in this quicksand because of the fact that we constantly are running away, even though, ironically, while we're running, we're still staying in place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that that that's why I think it's important that, you know, something like Tulsa needs to be taught within our educational system to everyone um, to have a better understanding yeah. for each other. Yeah. Know, so. So let's kind of dive in a little bit. So Tulsa, Oklahoma, we're talking about this downtown area, Greenwood, as it's known in Tulsa, um, also known as Black Wall Street at the time, Uh right? Coined by uh, Booker T. Washington. So the, the thing to note about this time in Oklahoma is when... When black people were making the move out of the South, Mm -hmm. they were looking for a place to go, right? A safe place to go. A safe place to go, get away from segregation. um, Murder, lynching. Yes. Just all-out degradation. And Oklahoma was not a state yet at the point when people started to move there. Correct. Right? Correct. So, black people and Native American people were living together mm-hmm. um, as tribal members is really how, how it's described, right? Mm-hmm. Because because it was not a state yet. And so they were accepted into the tribe. They had land. They built businesses and entrepreneur, you know, became entrepreneurs and had their own section of this part of Tulsa across the tr- railroad tracks as as we know it in the um, the line of demarcation right. to have their own space and economy and business and life mm-hmm. right yep. so in a nutshell that's kind of how it got built um but of course, right. Yeah, nineteen oh seven, I believe Oklahoma became a state. Um. Um. So that was sort of short lived. Like 
it was almost like they were running on borrowed time. Yes. Um, because they, you know, the residents of Tulsa, Oklahoma, it, it was like worrisome to them that all of a sudden Oklahoma is now a state because they felt like the same thing that they were running from would eventually find itself creeping or seeping into that state of Oklahoma, which was mm-hmm. the, you know, white supremacist ideals, uh, ideas, and the same things that they were running from with, like, lynchings, and, right. and, and just total humiliation, and racism, and all that type of thing, Jim Crow. Well, because then laws, because once it became a state, right. then laws were being written yeah so it was bringing all of that everything that everything, I, what yeah. everyone was trying to get away from right. was, was now encapsulated now coming in right and um that and was, now the, and then they couldn't like it was there in front yeah, of them right. they couldn't it, the, it no wasn't the same it. it was just not the same um, it was surrounding them um it was almost as if like you know like that i, I kind of liken it to that movie the blob Mm-hmm. Where it's this slow moving, yeah, uh, thing that's just coming towards you to swallow you up and to take you whole mm-hmm. and to eventually destroy you, your family, your friends, uh, your way of life. So they were kind of trying to find, I guess, even when that was happening, they were trying to insulate themselves um, for survival's sake, and also because of the fact that they really had no choice because. They really could do business in the white part of town. Right. So they said, okay, you know what? Here's what we we're going to do. We're going to have our We're going to keep the money here. We're going to keep the money circulating. So the money circulated in that, that yeah. community like four or five times. So, yeah, I actually have that here, <clears throat> that it's estimated that the dollar circulated 36 to 100 times within the community, which means mm. that a single dollar flowed through wow. Greenwood for about a year. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Just to think about that, right? So you had about 10,000 or so residents-ish, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of it is estimated. Um, there were hotels. There were movie theaters. There were homes, Law doctors, offices. lawyers. I mean, it Law was offices. libraries, schools, yes. churches. Uh, you know, everything that... Encapsulate a city. That right. Makes a, that makes a city a city. A metropolis a metropolis was within this like 35 40, 40 yeah blocks. square blocks yeah. of right of this of this part of Tulsa yes just black excellence like it was just yeah so right so of course there started to be there started to be issues we're gonna we have statehood there's some issues white people are like oh, we don't really want you here mm-hmm. um Without saying it like that, obviously, um, they weren't nice about it. What they, what, what I'll say is, it's not so much that those white people didn't want them there, is that those white people, and this, this uh, qualified for just about every, you know, uh, individual, white individual or government, whatever, in the South, especially. When it came to black residents, when it came to black people, what it was was they wanted those white residents, those white people wanted to dictate mm. how and where those black people moved. 
what they did and who they worked for. Well, so if they right. could, because they had their own economy right. and they so if they, they could, hired each other and worked with each other and lived with each other. Right. And so if they if they could somehow decide you're going to work for me and I'm not like for sh- for instance sharecropping in the south. So like if you work for me, I can cheat you out of your money. I'm not going to give you what's yours, what you deserve, what you worked hard for and things like that. I have you basically like in my uh, basically like hemmed up like in my mm-hmm. clasp like mm-hmm. you basically are not going anywhere you can't I'm not going to give you enough to go out on your own in order to be self-sufficient now what this did in Tulsa Oklahoma when you see black people being divergent from your pre-held racist believes that black people can't do this and black people aren't able to do this and they're lazy and they're shiftless and blah 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 now when they see this this throws everything off kilter as far as like that racist mindset because you see that these people are doing that and beyond so they are self-sufficient they are determining their own destiny. They don't need you. They don't need <laughs> you to uh, show them the way or show them the path. They actually came several generations removed from slavery to somehow build this prosperous neighborhood, this prosperous community, and make themselves proud and determined and full of dignity, wearing suits, looking at you know their best their Sunday best and you know dressed to the nines and all this type of stuff so when you see this as a white person that uh, holds these backwards beliefs and it doesn't jive with what you're saying or what you're thinking or what you've been taught it's almost like you go in a short circuit you're like you don't know how to react so now you're jealous and resentful of the very people that you said were not capable or were not worthy of certain things that you have um, been, yeah. yeah, been been afforded your whole life, and you seen black people do this? Oh no, we can't have this. We got to be able to control the narrative. We got to be the ones to be able to control your lives and tell you where you can go and what you can do, and you know, tell you that you need to walk up the sidewalk when I'm walking down the street, and you need to look me in the eye. You need to address me as sir and ma'am and all this type of stuff, and. You know, so it was like that they, you know, it it just didn't, it wasn't going to fly with them. So they just needed something, anything to give them an excuse to uh, be in their space. And unfortunately, faithfully on May 31st, uh, yes, on May 30th, actually, it happened and it led to May 31st and June 1st. It's just, just, for, for more to add, by uh-huh. the way, um, 1919 had a lot of uh, similar massacres across the country. Right, right. It was known, um, I believe, as DC, the Red Summer. DC, Knoxville, Longview, Texas, Phillips County, Arkansas, Omaha, Nebraska, Chicago. I mean, mm-hmm. there were, right? Yeah, the Red Summer. That's what it was yes, the Red the Summer year. of 1919. Mm-hmm. So, just for the folks that are listening that may not be aware, like, there. I mean, there was a there was a community here in within Central Park, um, Seneca Village, Seneca right? Village, yeah. There's so there's 
this isn't an isolated story. This happened repeatedly. Um, so in May 31st, 1921, Dick Rowland, the story, I mean, there's, I've heard different iterations of the story. I believe it started May, I think that incident started on the 30th. The 30th. And, and they, they, okay. they held him. Well, so the Tulsa Tribune reported on the 31st, so yeah. Okay. Right. right. That he, Dick Rowland, attempted to rape a white woman. Right. Which, right, we know is not mm-hmm. the case. That, that's always the story for right. lynchings. And, uh, that he went into a store, he murders. went into the elevator, she was operating the elevator, something happened, it jerked or whatever, he fell, he touched her whatever and she screamed because she was caught off guard and then he ran they caught up with him arrested him he was sitting in the jail Mm -hmm. um, and as so the story comes out and as the word starts to spread a mob starts to form a white mob starts to form around the courthouse or the jail um because they're like, no, no, no. We need to lynch him. He needs to go. Don't touch our women. Mm-hmm. That whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. But in but but then that word gets to Greenwood, and they're like, no, we need to help him. We need to defend him. We need to get him safely out of there because they were worried he was going to be murdered, mm-hmm. and and rightly so. I that you know I think we all kind of knew. You know, reading about this, um, how these stories usually end. Mm-hmm. And so they went, and, and many of them were armed. Many of them wore, they were World, World War I veterans mm-hmm. who wore their uniforms, black veterans who wore their uniforms to go and talk to the sheriff or whoever it was to say, we're here for Dick Rowland, we're going to make sure he's safe assured that he was going to be he was safe he was fine they weren't going to do anything right and so they had to leave of course like there's a back and forth because the white mob is like who are you showing up here with guns and everything else they got their guns right yeah they sent the word out to other white residents and then they ended up getting their guns right they were actually deputized well but that wait so there was a Scuffle, uh-huh. I will call it a scuffle. Because um, he tried to rip the gun away from. Correct. The, uh, I can't remember his name. As I think, I believe his name is out there, but now I can't remember it. Mm-hmm. A gun went off mm-hmm. during this fight back and forth. So then, of course, one gun goes off, other guns go off, mm-hmm. and this begins. All hell breaks loose. Correct. So now. The white mob lines around, like I mentioned, the railroad tracks. That was the the separation of Black Wall Street and Greenwood with the white part of Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And so they line up around this railroad track waiting because they want to, they're trying to figure out how to infiltrate the neighborhood. Right, because the Black Tulsans formed a uh, barricade between the white mob Mm -hmm. forming mob and 
uh, Greenwood where we're not allowing them to enter and uh, there was a you know they kind of uh, thought that everything was cool because they weren't able to get through there was a right. silence for a while I believe when dawn into dusk whatever like it was nighttime and everybody mm-hmm. but it was an airy silence and then all of a sudden uh, they were able to they were able to infiltrate they were able to breach the and now you mentioned the deputized mm-hmm. so the police force and the sheriff specifically I believe mm-hmm. let the let members of the white mob into stores Right. Where they, they had the guns. Stores themselves, they actually got the guns from the stores. The police. They were like, did, "Go ahead, get what you need." And gave them, gave them, so the you guns. can fight, and basically gave them free reign and mm-hmm. weapons and guns and planes, and yeah. Yes, this is the actually. <laughs> side note: um, Speaking of the planes, um, first, you know, we always, we always remember. 9-11 and many people believe that you know that was unprecedented as far as uh, a plane attack on American, American soil, soil. Mm-hmm. however uh, au contraire Moonfair, because actually the first aerial attack terrorist aerial attack keyword terrorist because this was terrorism um, on US soil was during the Tulsa massacre um, by white men in privately held corporation airplanes. So these were privately held airplanes that were handed over to white men to ultimately drop weaponry on the residents of uh, Black Wall Street. Um, you know, dynamite, uh, machine guns, what have you. So they were just shooting indiscriminately towards uh, these terrified residents um, that of course I'm sure were just wondering what is going on right now this is I mean I'm sure they've heard and been witness to lynchings and you know burning of black bodies and all this type of stuff and whatever but to go to this extreme to utilize planes this must have been like I I, I couldn't even imagine what was going through that but um, yeah so this is the first time that that has ever happened on U.S. soil, um, yeah. just as a sidebar. Yeah. So they're dropping these turpen- turpentine balls and torching homes, um, businesses. I mean, just complete and utter devastation, mm-hmm. right? Without disregard, without regard, excuse me, without regard for for anybody's life. Pillaging homes, they're, stealing. Yes. Anything and everything you can Every- think of, yes. it was it was happening here. Total havoc. So, when it finally subsides and ends, um, black residents who were still there, because some did flee mm-hmm. and, and left Greenwood and Tulsa completely, right. Right. many without clothes, shoes, like not, they had nothing, mm-hmm. literally nothing. Yeah. Um, the National Guard showed up. But... Who did they take into custody? Was it the the white mob? Survey says nope. It was not. So the the, the folks who were remaining, the, the black residents who were remaining in the town, were basically rounded up 
and brought in and they had to have it was they had to have a white person vouch, vouch for, for them. them yeah so they were uh brought to like internment camps um and uh so they were rounded up and basically you know waiting i guess to see what was going to happen and see if they can go back to their homes um salvage something um you know, and also to check on their families. And in order to be released um, from this holding, they had to actually be vouched for by white people who said it's okay for them to be released. Yeah. Now, mind you, these are the yeah. victims. These right. are the people who have nothing been bombed left. on and murdered and, 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 and to- total devastation that they're going through, and separated from their families, but yet. They had to now suffer more indignities by having white people to vouch for them, to sign them out or what have you, to say, yeah. okay, you're good to go. Like, yeah. uh, just unbelievable. So they have some kind of, like, distinctive mark on them or something like that to say, okay, yes. he's good to go. Yes. Um and so, yeah yeah but yeah that that was and then there was, was back and forth right Tulsa was like we're gonna help don't worry like we're gonna rebuild mm-hmm. this and then they never they never, never did they never it. these these people lost their livelihoods they lost their businesses the the money the wealth the generational wealth was gone for some like an entire lineage was gone right because because it stopped because they were killed um there were bodies dumped in unmarked graves, mm. mass graves, some which the, have water, now graves, yeah. started to be mm. um, dug up within a cemetery in Tulsa where they're trying to identify remains based off of records and... Oh, and also, let's not... Speaking of indignities, let's not forget that uh, to pour more salt on the wound the uh, victims, many of the victims were actually blamed by the Tulsa Tribune. Oh, yeah. Um, they were the ones who started For inciting it the yeah. riot. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Actually, three days after the this race massacre, the Tulsa Tribune published an editorial title, It Must Not Be Again. Um, <laughs> it began such a district as the old and I quote, nigger town must never be allowed in Tulsa again. No white person was ever held accountable for any role in this atrocity against black people. So, um, just to add you know, a little context um, Yes. You know, but, so, yeah, so they, they, they obviously had a you know, that, that publication right there go, shows me that this was in the works that this was mm-hmm. planned out that this is what their purpose was um, from the get go so they were just using that whole story of the alleged rape as which a, he was later exonerated by the right, way right she never pressed charges yeah um, as a um, catalyst for annihilating and wiping out any hopes of a a black utopia so to speak um so it, it you know it was it was basically one of those things where it was like teetering it was just like we just need to find some 
you know, to the to their eyes, a viable excuse to wipe these people out. Because if it was just about justice, you know, you would have let the courts decide what the fate of this, you know, young man was. And well, you know, he would not get a jury of his peers. Well, yeah. yeah, we know that. You know what I'm saying? But to be like, we need to now go take it out on the whole right uh, community. community. <laughs> like y'all was gonna do this anyway. Y'all just needed to find something. As as dubious of an excuse as it was, as ridiculous and as absurd as as it, it may have been to to them, they was like, all right, good enough. Let's go. You know. Yep. And here we are, a hundred years later, and there is um, no justice, no apology, no reparations, no nothing. Um, and recently, so there are, I think, three surviving members of the massacre. They're all over a hundred years old and the oldest is Viola Fletcher she's 107 she was seven years old at the time and she testified at a house judiciary subcommittee and this is her quote I just I want to read this quote I still see black men being shot black bodies lying in the street I still smell smoke and see fire I still see black businesses being burned. I still hear still hear airplanes flying overhead. I hear the screams. I have lived through the massacre every day. I am 107 years old and have never seen justice. I pray that one day I will. I have been blessed with a long life and have seen the best and worst of this country. I think about the terror inflicted upon black people in this country every day. She's 107, and she has never seen justice, which we have obviously talked about other things that go on in this country where there has not been justice either, but but I just, you know, I heard her reading that testimony, and I just, like, my heart, it just... For her at 107, first of all, like, wow, um, to, plus, plus, plus. yeah, to now be kind of put into this forefront, right? And, and there's three surviving members of this that were just now putting out into the world to say, this happened, let's learn about this, let's figure something out. And just the trauma, as we always talk about, we always go back to trauma, just the trauma for her for a hundred and for, for a hundred years, cause she was seven to go through something like that and, you know, live her life, family, you know, all of that. But, but to, I'm, I know like she had to come back to this moment over and over. And the one thing that we have seen repeatedly when they do show videos of interviews from survivors 
the family of those survivors were like, yeah, no one really talked about it. No one said anything. Or there were little things here and there, but you didn't really know what it meant because you don't talk about it. And just thinking about that trauma, the internalized trauma, right? Because you don't want to talk about it because it's horrific. Well, not only that, it was a survival and, tactic too because yes. they felt if they talked about it, then you know the white people around them would be like, "Are you causing trouble? Are you one of those troublemakers?" You know, blah blah blah, and that could ultimately lead to death. So it was like, mm, let's keep our mouth shut. We don't want to let this out. We don't want to let this be known. Um, basically because we want to stay alive you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying Mm -hmm. so like yeah you know (laughs) because they already saw an example of if black people somehow assert themselves what happens as a reaction to that you know to to daring to assert yourself to daring to show your dignity and self worth so I guess they took that with them and then now on top of that you got to think that now you're getting that feeling it it gets exasperated it gets compounded and piled upon when you see still examples of black men black women being brutalized being killed unarmed black men black women what have you in the streets by authority by people who feel deputized to police black bodies yeah. They leave them dead, harmed, yes. and there's no account for it. So you see that over and over and over again. Can you imagine how many times she's seen that in a hundred years? And you know what? You know what? So that I think about. Back. You know what I think All about a lot. Again. I think about. You know, we always have these conversations about what do you share with your children right and and teaching them history and teaching them just what's going on in the world and I always think about this with Nico because you know we're we always have something right we we have news on we're informed we're reading about stuff we you and I have discussions he's in the room like he hears things he 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 doesn't know but he knows at the same time right And I think about these things of just, like, how much of that do I want to put on him? And I think that that is part of why these survivors also, they right? Like, they don't share it because they don't want to put that on their families, their children, their grandchildren. Because I think about that and I say, is it too much? But, like, he needs to know. I mean, something like that being, you know, if it's really close to home. Yeah. You know, I can understand. Um, but it's, but, like, but I'm all, but I also believe, like, you know, the stories are painful and, and heartbreaking and awful and every other word you can think of. But they're so important. Mm-hmm. Because, right, because we always have these moments of, like, living history and as the generations pass on, 
right? Like World War II veterans and then and mm-hmm. and Vietnam veterans and Korea War veterans, right? We have all like these things ha- happen and we lose that. Mm-hmm. And you want to get as much of it as you can while people are still here even though it is so traumatic. Yeah. But on the you know, and I hear what you're saying, but on the other hand too, you got to think that many of these people weren't allowed to process yeah no yeah no I a lot of these that. people came you know it came out of this as kids yes right yes so you're already having to deal with that as kids Which, you already yeah. have problems processing things as yeah. children you know you're developing certain ways of thinking and whatever whatever and can you imagine something Mm-mm. as traumatic as this no. interrupts that and then no. now you got to get uprooted from where you've been living to go to another place and now this is not the end of racism it's not the end of prejudice it's not the end of discrimination yeah. so now you got to deal with that on top of that right yeah and then on top of that you got to deal with be possibly being separated from your father your mother your grandma your uncle your mm-hmm. aunt what have you people that you've grown up for all your life so you're dealing with all of this type of stuff so now you got to sit down and have a long drawn out talk with your like no and I life know. is moving so quickly especially back I in know. those days like yeah. If I live like in the 30s and 40s and 50s, I couldn't even imagine what they were going through. Mm-hmm. Like the stuff that they had to see and go mm-hmm. through. And, yeah, you know, like how strong you had to be just to make it out on the other side. Yeah. And, you know, the stuff that we see now, like, is terrible. Mm-hmm. But like back then, mm-hmm. I could, like, it's probably like even tenfold. So, yeah. like. You know, so they gotta, they gotta, got all this thing getting jumbled up and yeah, it's mixed hard. Up and it's, it's hard it's really, because you really can't. Tough and, yeah, you can't. That's, you know what I'm saying? So, so you know, so like, I have to, I have to take that with a grain of salt. I have to oh, think about I, it yeah. in those terms. I just, like, you, know what I'm you know, we're we have these three surviving members of for, from this, and just. I just, you know, there's still so much that needs to happen from this. What needs to happen is reparations. Well, that was where I was going. I was going to that because, because that keeps coming up, right? And and we talked about reparations on the larger scale of just of of slavery and and that. But but for this for the for this moment. For the families who lost everything, mm-hmm. who couldn't come back from that, right? Like, losing that, we talk about generational wealth, and we talk about having for your children and mm-hmm. their children and so mm-hmm. on. You know, so many lost that. It got cut off completely. completely. And then you're thrust back into segregation and a world where... You're like you said, the sharecropper mm-hmm. not giving you what you're due mm-hmm. and not being able to really pull yourself out of mm-hmm. what you had and, and coming back to that. And 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 obstacles to get back to what you had because you had, you know, even afterwards when many black people were trying to come back to build up Greenwood. Right. There was still like some, 
some governmental obstacles where they were trying to put up like fire codes or something like that that many of right. them couldn't even meet in order for them right. to be able to construct making them those difficult, businesses making it difficult as for difficult them as to possible. yes um but many of them actually i mean there, there was i believe it was the 40s and 50s where like another community of uh black residents came back and built it up um i don't know if they built it up to the uh, right you know to what it was back you know in those days but they still had a pretty successful black businesses that were reconstructed um that were on their way back uh to to those glory days um and they were pretty successful but what happened was in the modern era was now you had uh the highways that were coming along right. that and, were built straight through it right yeah. that were that were built straight through those neighborhoods yep. and now you're dividing it's cut up even more cut up even more yeah and so you're cutting people off from economic and financial resources and businesses and so, things of that nature so so there's <coughs> there's something going up there now right green uh-huh. greenwood rising uh-huh. And it's supposed to be sort of like a cultural center museum something, right? right? And I know there is a lot of talk about about what that really means. And I've read some stuff about local politicians or um, activists in the, in the area and others who are like, nope, I am not going to step foot in that building. This isn't this isn't anything about anything. This is just, you know, their way to bring in tourist dollars and yeah. get people to come here and look at this and that's it. And I I guess my question would be obviously reparations is part of it, right? And 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 survivors getting something and they're the descendants of those people getting something. Mm-hmm. But what the building's going up. It's going to be done this year, I think. September, the light. I think. Yeah. So, I mean, what do what do we do? Right? Like what it what is Because I think I think for some, some look at it and they say, "Oh, but like this is an acknowledgement of like this happened." So, like isn't that what people want? Mm-hmm. And on the other side, it's like this is a slap in the face cuz no one within the city itself the larger the government has said or taken responsibility for mm-hmm. what actually happened. Yeah, it's the old um, trick of well, it wasn't us. We weren't there, so why right. should we? I didn't. My family didn't have slaves, so why do I need to apologize? Well, for you're it? still the right. city. Mm-hmm. You're still the state. So, regardless of whether you, as an individual, were there or not, right. The responsibility still falls on you to take care of your your citizens, um, especially the ones that were wronged in such a um, atrocious manner as yes. this, uniquely atrocious. Like I, there's nothing I in U.S. Know. history that's ever ever occurred uh, to this magnitude. Um, and you know, we're 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 talking about, you know, like you said, generational wealth. We're talking about. Um, 10,000 black people that were left yep. homeless um, which amounted to more than 1.5 million dollars in real estate and 750,000 in personal property 
which was equivalent to $32.65 million Oof. in 2020. So just let, let's wrap your head around that. Um, you know, so this just totally devastated, you know, a whole generation, yeah. whole two, three generations. Mm-hmm. Like, Lord knows, like, how much wealth would have been accumulated and brought into that city um, in that yeah. state even like it probably could have helped out the, the larger population for all we know you know what I'm saying like if these people were allowed to just live the life as American citizens as any dignified American citizen was allowed to live mm-hmm. and, and, and you know and we always talk about meritocracies right we always say oh on your merits you work hard Right. You do what you got to do. You can get that white picket fence and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Well, they did that. Yeah. And yeah. how did the American government and the American uh, neighbors respond? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is not the only case. Like, right. this is what I'm saying. This right. is what's so frustrating is the fact that there have been many examples of black people pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. And the the response to that is utter violence you know there's been so many cases and like it just makes me angry and just brings tears to my eye when I see pictures of black people who were lynched and it was so telling in what they were lynched in they were lynched in their world war one world war two outfits they were lynched in suits they were dressed to the nines, but they were still battered and bruised and, you know, clothes torn. And and I'm just like, man, so that right there just goes to show me that it wasn't about, you know, you saying that, you know, this whole thing about black people with these negative stereotypes. No, they were doing what they had to do, but y'all were resentful and y'all were jealous of that. And y'all fed into this whole this whole narrative of white superiority and supremacy even if you were the poorest of the poor you still felt that you deserved more than that black man over there who was living his life the right way and so it's this it's this imagination that runs wild in your head of who you are and what you deserve and we've seen it it was another iteration. This is why we got to know history because the thing is, everything mm-hmm. revolves. It was another iteration January 6th. Mm-hmm. Those same people had the same mindset. And they're not being held accountable, are right. they? Right. No, they are not because now we don't even have Republicans that want to start a commission to mm-hmm. hold these people accountable because they know that they mm-hmm. themselves would be culpable in, yes. in ferment, fomenting that mindset. Yeah. In, in starting something that ended up and culminated in what happened January 6th because it's that same mindset of I believe it should be this way I don't care about facts this is what I think this is what I've been taught and if you say that it's not that way then somehow you are attacking me so that's a psychological mind trick that they play and if you call them out on their bullshit all of a sudden well, you're the one that's racist mm-hmm. right 
which falls into the whole controversy with critical race, race theory, theory, which right? we didn't even get into. <laughs> so this is why we need something like critical race theory, because we wouldn't know things like what happened in Tulsa. We think, wouldn't yeah. come to terms I think with this is what a we part need to two. come to terms with. We do a part two critical yeah. race theory, because, yeah, that we did want to bring that up in tandem with this because yeah it's right because like we said at the top neither one of us learned about this in school and there's there were people within Tulsa black people within Uh Tulsa who were like I didn't learn about it Uh until I was in college or I was in my 20s or someone in my family said something Uh right like it's you're living in the place where it happened and you're not learning about it Right, so, and this isn't, this isn't. And didn't wasn't there policy in Oklahoma to try to get rid of? I, I believe it was the governor or something like that that wanted to get rid of uh, critical, critical race, race theory. I mean, they're all in, over. Uh, I know which, which would Cotton, be which would be not, even more atrocious because like Tulsa, you know, is where this happened, and for that not to be taught in Oklahoma of all places, it's just uh, it's it's kind of crazy to me. Um, but right then and there is what also defines white privilege to be able well, to yeah. dictate. I to just you know I just think that <coughs> people what they should learn and what they should not learn. It's just it's one of those things where you know it all comes back to the education, learning about our history and there's a ton to learn about there's a ton people don't know there's a ton people are still educating themselves on and we need to just I mean you gotta start young yeah it was, so it was the governor um, and he signed what uh, many refer to as a ban on the uh, critical race theory in schools and he said that it would make sure taxpayer money is not used to define and divide young <laughs> Oklahomans about their race or sex. Oh, I have no idea what that means. Um, but, you know, you know, bullshit going bullshit. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. That, that's what we're dealing with. We're, so we're, we're still f- trying to fight the good fight and, um, and edifying and, 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 and feeding people knowledge because that's the only way we're going to extricate ourselves from the muck of ignorance Um, and get and get these people something because this is it's not even justice really because people like people are dead right we talk about that all the time it's not justice until we don't have to have the conversation of another person dying it ain't ain't just it's it's just us I I know Mm-hmm. We just um, had a look. We just had a look. You <laughs> couldn't see it, but we just had a look. <laughs> you know, but yeah, justice. You know, some semblance, some some semblance of justice needs to be done, and it's just, I, I think it starts with talking, and starts with conversations, and starts with not running running away, away from it. Not, yeah, not feeling like anybody's pointing fingers at anyone. Like that's not going to get anybody anywhere. You know, if I had a, if I had an issue with my family member, if my or, or my friends or whatever, and I saw something in their past and I brought it up and I said, "You remember that time?" 
What they gonna be like? Oh, you shouldn't be bringing. I'm like, no, I'm bringing this up so you don't do that again. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to do better for yourself. I want you to do better so other people's around you uh, uh, can see that you made the change. You made that concerted effort to make that change. So now you can ingratiate people towards you and y'all can move on better to make a, 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 a you know, to, to, to live and prosper and be happy. You can't be happy and prosper and be content if you have this constant burden in the back of your head and in your life in which you just haven't come to terms with don't want to come to terms with like you got to work that out and the same goes for America you got to work it out it's part of your past good the bad and the ugly but it's still part of your past Mm -hmm. and you just gotta you just you know that's the only way we're gonna move forward otherwise instead of running on hills and valleys and all that beautiful stuff, we're gonna be stuck in this treadmill, running, but ain't going nowhere. So hamster on, wheel. And on top mm-hmm. of that, having blindfolds. You know what I'm saying? It's a hamster wheel. Yeah. Like you, you. So you know you're not gonna you're not gonna have me smell shit and tell me it's flowers. <laughs> but people, some people want to do that. They want to do it. They want to do it. They do. So, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 so I guess stay tuned for a part two where we talk about critical race theory. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. But. So yes, you know, take the time, read, watch. There's plenty of documentaries out um, about Tulsa. Just read about it. Um, absorb mm-hmm. what you can. Talk to people about it. Educate someone on it. Listen. Listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just um, wherever you are in your day, just take a minute to think about all of those lives lost, mm-hmm. especially as it is Memorial Day. Exactly. Um, and there's, you know, all those lives unnecessarily lost. Mm-hmm. Um, as we also think about veterans and black veterans yes. also mm-hmm. um, who are not always treated with the respect that they deserve for fighting for this country alongside yeah. my own family so yeah mm-hmm. yeah so yeah man just um learn live love um and embrace the truth uh, you know bruises cuts and all but you gotta embrace it all cause um that's the only way, like I said, we're going to be able to move forward and, uh, and, and be what we can be uh, if we truly want to be great. Mm. If we truly want to be great, this is what we got to do. So, I'm going to leave it at that. Well, I am Nicole. I'm Earl. We're the Poisers, and this was the mix-up. Thank you, y'all. Be good.